Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Life Plus God podcast. Thank you for joining us today. And I say us because I am Alyssa Robinson, and I am here with my friend and co-host, Aaron Willis. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And this is a segment I like to call Aaron and Alyssa talk about whatever they want to talk about (laughs) because we don't have a name for it. So we are going to have regular conversations once a month about hot topics that we want to talk about. And some of it, we'll just be talking about our personal opinions of what we think is going on. Some of it we'll talk about through the lens of faith. Some we'll talk about what's the church think about these things. But let me say, we are not professionals in any way. We did not go to seminary. Did not. We are not Bible scholars. We are just one of you. We are one of the masses. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, to that note, I would also kind of like to uh, hear other people's opinions as well. And uh, so I'm sure we'll figure out a way to accomplish that. But yeah. So this month's topic. Yes. Is vulnerability. Yeah. Which is a really tough topic for me. I actually just came out of an all-staff meeting. Uh, I am a staff member here at Treach Memorial United Methodist Church. They are the sponsors of this podcast. Mm -hmm. But I like nearly shut down in the meeting because in a work environment, they were asking us to talk about vulnerability. And Pastor Doug called me out and was like, hey, why don't you share, you know, what you were talking about with your partner? And I just said, no. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. So vulnerability is not my strong suit. I don't know what your thoughts are on vulnerability. This is going to be a really short podcast. It's going to be like 10, 15 minutes tops. So keep your guard up. Yeah. No, no. We want to have a good conversation about it. But before we get into into all the deep twists and turns of what vulnerability is, what it means to us, what it means for the church. Aaron, I'd really just like you to introduce yourself. Give us a little bit of your spiritual background. And by a little bit, I mean, tell us everything. Tell you everything. I grew up in the Baptist church uh, and then realized that I wanted to play guitar. And at that time in the Baptist church, there was no place to accomplish that. Uh, So Was there no music? I mean, there was. If you do like pipe organ and handbells. I happen to love the pipe organ. I I, I do too. (laughs) Uh, but I could not play it. Um, so uh, I, I wanted to play the electric guitar. So uh, I actually uh, joined a band and jumped from a Baptist church to a non-denominational, very charismatic church, which uh, is basically, you know, the the equivalent of getting your driver's permit in a Ferrari. Like it's just it's you're you're immediately off to the races um, so yeah, uh, and I, I was there for, golly, probably, I would say probably two years, two or three years. Um, and I actually interned under the youth pastor there, uh, for a while. And that's where I realized I probably was not cut out for ministry. <laughs> Why? Oh, um, for the same reasons I think that are probably going to make me good at this. Mm. Uh, I would much, I would much rather be uh, direct and honest when it comes to uh, protecting other people. Oh, so you're not a pastor; you're a prophet. 
No. <laughs> yes. Yes. You're no. you're wanting to shake things up a little bit. Now no, I would argue I I wanna... that is exactly what a minister needs to be. <laughs> I just uh, when when somebody asks me uh, a, a question because I'm a very empathetic person, I take into account who that person is. I take into account who's asking me that question, uh, and thus uh, I live my entire life in gray areas. And that does not lend itself well to the ministry, I don't think. But uh, it certainly didn't for youth ministry <laughs> when there are parents involved. Uh, so yeah, and- gray areas are tough when you're like just developing, like with children's ministry and youth ministry. Yeah. Like it, you're just trying to set like the foundations in place and throwing all of these gray areas. Like that's for college. Let's let's wait till college. <laughs> let's give them another two years. Another two <laughs> years, and then let's just frontal lobe a little bit, <laughs> and then let's start really poking holes that, in things. That soft spot just needs to grow over a little bit. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> uh, I think I I really do think I uh, that was my first time actually working inside of the church. And, um, I mean, besides being a youth intern there, I was a janitor. I played on the uh, youth worship team and the, uh, main worship team. Uh, and so just by wanting to be, just by wanting to play electric guitar, I served like four primary functions at that church. And, uh, that was my first, uh, my first time of getting completely overwhelmed with inside a church, being a competent volunteer, even as, as a, uh, 18 year old at the time. <clears throat> so, um, I did get paid for the janitorial work though. Yeah. So, so you clean the bathrooms and then they let you play guitar. Exactly. Exactly. It was a pay to play scenario. You know, <laughs> if you don't, if you don't fish, you know, if you don't fish stuff out of the urinals, I'm sorry, we can't use you on electric guitar here. So fair enough. You know, uh, so from then, uh, I, you know, I, after I kind of got out on my own, I did not go to college. So I didn't really, I just started working cause, uh, learned very early on that school was not for me, but, um, uh, yeah, I, I kind of bounced around, um, between other Baptist churches after that. Uh, and then when I got married, uh, I was actually in a non-denominational, um, prosperity gospel church which was mm. rough uh and that was uh the second time so can you describe for listeners who don't know like mm. what is a prosperity gospel church uh it is a church that is basically focused on um yeah that that uh one of the primary functions of knowing that that the lord has his hand in your life is that you will be financially rewarded. Your blessing will primarily be financial. And so the church is big on uh, tithing into the church to plant that seed, and that you will then get those returned to you multiple fold. Um, And then what happens if you don't get those returned to you? uh, You should tithe more. Mm. You should have more faith and tithe more. It reminds me of like the old school TV evangelists Mm -hmm. that we're like, send in your money, show that you have faith, you know? Yeah, yeah, but imagine that, but it was like an MLM. I don't know what that means. A uh, multi-level marketing. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, imagine that, but it's like, uh, you know, bring your friends, have them tithe, because the more people you bring in, the more the church will have. Uh, it, it, it was a lot, and at, at that church, let's see, I played on the youth worship team, the college and career worship team, the main 
worship team. I worked in the video department, and I worked with the youth ministry. Then uh, after we left that church, uh, which was non-denominational, we kind of made it to like the Bible churches, which I still don't understand exactly why they're called that. One of the Bible churches that we went to, um, which I won't name, uh, we, we kind of got stuck in this uh, thing where we were trying to help one of the outward-facing ministries uh, that was uh, primarily trying to help uh, uh, people who might be temporarily or permanently or systemically disadvantaged, any, any of those. That sounds really good. I thought it was good. Uh, the, the, the real problem came into, uh, you know, trying to, uh, connect that ministry with the, uh, the outside world of people who could help, whether it be financially or through donations or something like that. Um, you know, for those of you who have grown up in church, maybe you've worked in church and you've been around churches that have big, uh, ministry overhead kind of a thing where, We've got 15 different ministries inside the church. They all want to get their message in the, in the, in the, um, the order of service, uh, and they all want to get stuff on the screens outside. Everybody wants to be mentioned in the announcements. Right. Every- and preferably they want the pastor to say it because people listen. That's what, yeah, that's how, that's how you know that the church means it is if the, <laughs> the pastor says it. Otherwise, it's just we're just playing games. Uh, and so um, anyway, uh, you know, we had this kind of a run-up and uh, I, in, in my previous job, I've worked with, golly, probably about 200 different churches across the country mm-hmm. and, and dealing with uh, trying to get a temporary event announced to their, uh, their congregation. And so I know how difficult that can be, and I know why that's difficult. It's very difficult on the communications and media people to try to get that, all that information distributed and not fatigue the audience. Um, which I'm doing right now, if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so we were trying to get the message out. I was working directly with the the, the communications team. Everybody was was on board except for one person. Uh, and uh, eventually that came to a head when we had tried to do a summer food drive for uh, kids who were using the free lunch program. And... Uh, I was like, can we get it in the bulletin? No. Okay. Can we get it on the screens out in the, in, in the loop, as we call it? Can we get it in the loop on the screens? No. Uh, okay. Can I use my money to go print out flyers and set them with all the other paperwork in the lobby? No. Okay. Uh, can I uh, send out a message over Facebook? No. Okay. Can I send out a message over your email list? No. Okay. Um, can I make an, a, a separate Facebook page that says something like abbreviation of church name cares? No, you can't do anything with our name. Can I just set up a Facebook page and you guys repost my post? No. All right. What can I do? Because I'm literally out of options. Uh, you can print stuff up and hand it out in the lobby. I'm like, okay. Okay. And then, uh, so I 
uh, talked to my friend who was uh, the, the graphic designer for the church and said, hey, can I get any kind of logos or something like that? He was like, no, I actually can't do that. And I was like, that's fine. Uh, is there any, like, uh, is there anything that I should be alerted to that it shouldn't say? And he said, let me check. And then he came back and said, they don't want you to hand out flyers anymore. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, what can I do? And uh, they said, you can just stand out in the lobby and talk to people. I'm like, <laughs> this isn't going to, like, what am I, like the town crier now? Just like, hey, hey, bring your food for kids who can't eat. And I'm just ringing this giant bell. Like, what? <laughs> How do I get any message across? Um, so anyway, uh, I, finally, we, we went through the event, and other than the people who were on that ministry team, uh, we had four other people show up out of a church of about 650 families. And it was devastating to me uh, and to my wife. We were both heartbroken because... While the ministry that we, or the nonprofit that we took this stuff to was very grateful, um, uh, I can say I was, I was pretty upset about it. Uh, and I was very thankful for the people who did participate. Um, and then literally, so that was on a Thursday. And then that Sunday morning, uh, we went in. And what we were greeted with after the video announcements, you know, it fades out and you expect the lights to come up because that's what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, the lights stayed down and then this very dramatic music starts. And what continued was probably a three and a half to four minute post youth camp wrap up video because youth camp had just happened. And so uh, after having this devastating time of, of trying to, uh, you know, collect food for literally kids of, of all backgrounds who are, you know, living below the poverty line. I'm greeting, greeted with this video of uh, the uh, very privileged kids through no fault of their own. Please don't uh, take it that way. But these very privileged kids uh, with this very professionally shot video by the media team. Mm -hmm. which four minutes of time for an event that's already happened. That already happened. It was in the past. Uh, and we just wanted to make the parents feel good about the experience that their kids just had. Mm. I, I don't necessarily disagree with that overall. Um, uh, it, it felt uh, incredibly... Self-serving? The best word I can come up with was, was vulgar. Oh. It felt very, uh, it felt, felt very vulgar and out of context, given what we knew had happened. Mm. And uh, thus led to a three-year gap in me and my wife's uh, church attending history. Oh, so that really, like, put you off of the entire church experience. Was, um, like, was it kind of like the straw that broke the camel's back, or was that the thing? So, um, yeah, there, there's, um, you know, I think for, for, uh, for my wife and I, we had kind of ping-ponged around because we had, we had gone to a point where we kind of hit a, uh, an, an impasse in attending a specific church. And um, we are not the uh, real vocal people when we leave the church um, because I have pastors in my family mm. who have been through everything from 
you know, friends and family leaving over this, that, or the other to full-on church-splitting events where half the church is just like, no, we're we call gone. It, yeah, we call it a mass exodus. Yes, yeah, that's a great metal band name. I'm, I'm stealing that, by the way. Uh, <laughs> coming winter of 2021, mass exodus. Yeah. Um, it's going to be lit, guys. Uh, anyway, uh, so yeah, and then kind of on a whim, we had some we, we had some friends who attended here. We have some friends who attend here, I guess I should say. I'm thinking about it in past tense. Um, we're still friends, and they still attend here. <laughs> uh, but they, uh, they invited us um, specifically because we were kind of telling them what we didn't like about our church-going experience. Um, here in the South, you get you, that's part of the thing. Oh, what do you do for a living? How many kids do you have? What church do you go to? That's mm-hmm. kind of part of just the how's the weather did you see that sports game last night mm-hmm. kind of conversation? Here and in the South. like for we are in Flower Mound, Texas, and the place that this church is located, there is literally a church on every corner. There's literally a church across the street. There are two churches across the street. Right. It's it's, it's comical. <laughs> so it, it's not it's not just a saying in the South. There is a church on every corner. Yes. So um, we wound up coming here, and I think the, the first week we were here, um, uh, I was really impressed with the, just the, the message here, kind of how it tied in. But really, when we walked in through the doors that we came in, there were these wire rack shelves, like baker's shelves, like you can buy. And there were all these bins that just had stickers from ministries and nonprofits that were not specifically a portion or, or, or a part of this church just sitting out there with instructions on what to do. You didn't have to make a fanfare of it. it. It was just sitting out there. And again, you know, knowing how churches vie for people's attention, that just being constantly there was a big deal. And then we sat through the service, and at the end of the service, the pastor invited people to come up and Donate specifically for indigent care, which you just don't even hear that word anymore. Mm-hmm. Kids, go to merriamwebster.com and look up indigent. Uh, and, and so, uh, you know, that, that also really touched my heart. I have, you know, I, at the time I had my, uh, my grandparents were aging. Uh, uh, <clears throat> I only have one left uh, at the moment. So just having somebody looking out for that because... There's nothing cool about indigent care. Um, it's not a it's not a glamour ministry that you're gonna be creating a four minute video to show <laughs> at the end of worship. No, yeah. it's it's a, it's it's a it's a it's a hard section to go and specifically minister to um, because I would say um, there can be a kind of a what feels like a lack of hope there. Uh, you're not building anything. You're not making anything, but you are caring. And um, that's something to just continually care Mm. without visible results of something being made and not having that four minute post event video. uh, You know, that can, that can be hard to do. So, uh, and here I am, Uh, I I am here right now. Uh, We completely denomination hopped. I don't know what that means. Um, Well, and it feels like it's safe to say, like, you got some baggage, some church baggage. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I think think even people who are 
inside the church have church baggage. And uh, I think that some of us are, are better at uh, denying that for ourselves because we feel like maybe that's part of the Christian experience. Maybe that is part of what it means to be a good servant is to deny ourselves that and not voice it. And then I think that there are other people who maybe want to do that and can't, and so they leave. Yeah. And then there are other people who are outspoken about it, and they are asked to leave. <laughs> so um, I think that there, there are all walks of life, but I, you know, you can't be in a relationship, a friendship, boyfriend, girlfriend, a marriage, uh, any other type of uh, romantic or really interpersonal engagement, whatever it is, and not have some type of baggage. Well, and that's, so I'll share, my journey is not nearly as ping pong as your journey, uh, because I am one of the few people that grew up Methodist, and it oh, is wow. just unheard of. I've never met one in the wild. This is really exciting for it, me. So I was raised in the Methodist church. We were Presbyterian for a little bit, but I think it's only because the small town we were living in didn't uh, have a Methodist church. But um, Presbyterian by force. I've heard yeah. of that. <laughs> Presbyterians are great. I okay. love the Presbyterian church. Uh, but no, I grew up Methodist. And most people you hear about, it's like uh, Methodist is the compromised church of like, well, mm. I grew up Baptist and I grew up Catholic. So let's just go to the Methodist church. Like it's a happy medium, you know? Yeah. Um, but one of the things that I really love about the Methodist church is that they embrace the gray areas. Mm. And so even as a child and a teenager, I was very encouraged to ask more questions, ask mm. more questions. And all of the, the questions I had didn't always have an answer. Like sometimes an adult would say to me, ooh, that's a really good question. I don't know. And I heard adults say, I don't know. And there oh, wow. was something like really empowering. And I think that a lot of us are afraid that if we tell kids or teenagers, I don't know, that we're going to throw them off their faith journey. <laughs> Be like, there are no answers. <laughs> but it was a really beautiful thing. Thing. And, you know, I'm not here to pitch the Methodist church or anything like that. Uh, I did have uh, a time period for about five years that I didn't go to church okay. after college uh, because I actually was still very involved. I was one of the few people that stayed involved in church when I was in college. And I was the president of the Wesley Foundation. And I found a local church that I wanted to be a part of. And there's something really uh, energizing about the college church experience is oh, like, wow. we're all just like wide eyed optimist and we think we can really make a change in the world and so like <clears throat> everything we did was missions oriented yeah. everything that we did was serving other people it was an open it was a true open hearts open doors open minds environment yeah and then i graduated and stepped out into the real world and the level of apathy that i found oh, yeah. in the church just destroyed me well you're an adult now yeah. And I'm like, why aren't y'all like excited about this message of Jesus? And like, why aren't y'all serving more? Why aren't y'all like, you know, doing more than just showing up for an hour on Sunday morning? And so it was really discouraging. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just like, I got uh, pissed off about the hypocrisy of it all. I'm okay. like, this is just a, a check on your weekly checklist of, yes, I went to church this week. Yeah. And, um, 
So instead of doing the adult thing and being like, okay, how can I, how can I help people and like inspire people and, and us grow together? I was like, screw you guys. I'm out. Yeah. It's, so, uh, you were, you were fast walking in the mall is what you were doing. Yeah. Coming out of college, you were just, you were speed walking and then you realized, oh gosh, nobody else here is speed walking. So what do you do? Do you do you just weave in between them or do you Can nope. I just call out how ridiculous <laughs> it is that you brought up a mall speed walking <laughs> reference? That's what I do. Uh, if you enjoy uh, random uh, random segues. But honestly, the only reason that I came back to church and, you know, I openly talk about this. I haven't had it recorded on a podcast. The church offered me a job and I needed no. a job. And it was actually this church, Treach that uh, said, hey, I, I quit my other job because I, for a lot of different reasons, I don't need to go into. <laughs> but I was kind of in between. I quit my job with no plan. I was 25 years old. And uh, I was like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of feel it out and see, like, <laughs> like what do I want to be when I grow up, you know? Right. And then the church came to me and was like, hey, we know like this wouldn't be a permanent thing for you and you're kind of, you know, figuring out what you want to do next, but we could really use some help. Like if you're willing to come here part time, just as like a little side gig while you're figuring out what you want to do. I was like, yeah, that sounds good. Just don't expect me to be here longer than six months. And then here I am seven years later. Whoops. <laughs> but I love it. I love yep. working in an environment that... Uh, man, I can use my passions to help people Yeah, and I am doing something that I really believe in and I have a church that believes in me and my abilities and my talents and pretty much like gives me free reign to do whatever I want to do, like this podcast episode <laughs> and it's, I love it. And so I don't feel like there's as much baggage with my church institution experience, mm -hmm. but I do think I, I sometimes carry resentment towards the church people because I'm like, care more, please. That's So that's really interesting. That's actually one of the things that I wanted to kind of define as we move forward is <clears throat> we're going to be saying words like church and the church. And those are two very different things uh, in my in, in my mind. And we can, I, I can define that now or we can talk about that in a minute. No, so th that's a good point. So usually when I'm talking about the church, I'm never talking about one church in, partic in particular. I'm usually talking about uh, churchdom. I agree. Church with a capital C. All of the collective people who claim the Christian faith mm -hmm. are the church. Uh, the church is the people. And usually when I'm talking about the institution of church, I will refer to it as the church institution. Okay. Because uh, they are very different. So... I feel like we've gotten a nice little intro yeah. into our church experience, but I really wanted, this episode is called The Vulnerable Church. Okay. And I really want to, based on our experiences, explore a little bit about what vulnerability means in the church. So first, when you hear the word vulnerability, what do you think of? Uh... You know, for me, context is is everything. So when you when you ask me a question like this, my my brain again tries to tries to connect with the the available definitions that there are for the word, and then narrow that down to 
which one of those is either the most salient or the most has the most resonance with me. And uh, so, you know, when I define vulnerability, uh, it, to me, it really kind of boils down to uh, truthfulness about one's self in the face of potential rejection. Mm. Um, Being able to stand there knowing that you could be judged, that you could be refused, um, uh, or that, or almost that there is a benefit for you to not be truthful about yourself. Um, And it also, that lends itself to kind of being open to accept uh, what is on the other side of that as well. So, yeah, that's kind of what it means to me. Do you think of yourself as a vulnerable person? Wow, that's hard. That size says no. (laughs) Well, so in context, yes. Like, for instance, I I love having conversations like this. I like being real. I like going really deep and trying to find the kind of the root where, like, you and I could be connected potentially Mm -hmm. Uh, because that matters a lot to me. That having that connection with people matters a lot more to me than you thinking that I'm cool because I'm not. I hate to break it to you guys. Um, a, a really good quote, I think it was, um, I think it was Brian Eno, who's a music producer. I'm a musician, by the way, so I'm going to talk about music on occasion. So, uh, Brian, Brian Eno said, uh, uh, trying to be cool is the purest form of lying to yourself. And, uh, I read that in a, like a guitar magazine when I was 16 and it, it's, it's, it's never left my brain because at that point I think I was really trying to be super cool. And his whole point was like, just to be yourself and let the people who are on, that are drawn to you and what you are as a person or an artist or whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. let those people, uh, come to you or you go find those people, what, whatever that is, uh, in your life. And don't worry about trying to be a thing that you're not, uh, because that's really not sustainable and you're going to delude yourself and that's going to take you down a road that you, you maybe don't want to go down. And so, yeah, I think in small settings, I find myself to be a very vulnerable person. I think in large settings, the opposite is true. I think that I'm very much more uh, of a protective person. Um, I have uh, ADHD. I got diagnosed when I was eight. And when I was young, I went through a lot of years of not having this internal filter and just saying the first thing that popped into my head and saying things that were really inappropriate or hurting somebody's feelings and not really understanding why. Mm-hmm. Um, and kind of Learning through all those, uh, which, by the way, that second one is devastating. Uh, if you have ADHD and potentially rejection-sensitive dysphoria, uh, you kind of automatically are a people pleaser in certain ways. And so when you hurt somebody's feelings, that really sticks in your head. Um, and so having all those kind of uh, missteps where I, I bumped and bruised myself along maybe with some other people as well, and and learning at a very young age that... Uh, Sometimes you can't recover from your first impression. Uh, when I get into a big setting where I feel like I might not be able to, uh, uh, like, th- there's too much outside stimulus firing off and my brain's going to want to say something 
that I could stay with you in a small group because you know who I am and you understand who I am. And if I say something inappropriate, albeit hilarious, uh, <laughs> that you would, you would grant me that, that space to do that because you know who I am. Uh, whereas out in public, it, it, it might not. So I find myself being less vulnerable when I'm in public and less myself mm. when I'm in public. So it really does depend on the context, but everything depends on context. So, yeah. yeah. So I was, I was having a conversation about this this morning because, um, vulnerability to me doesn't feel like, uh, being my true self everywhere I go, because Mm -hmm. that's kind of my default setting of like, I, I don't really change myself for people and I never have, like, it's kind of a, what you see is what you get sort of thing. So that doesn't feel like vulnerability to me. Vulnerability feels like sharing a piece of myself with Mm -hmm. someone. And it is kind of like the, uh, rejection piece Mm -hmm. of, Something really intimate and emotional, I'm not going to share with you unless you are in my immediate family or my two best friends. And Mm -hmm. that is it. Like that is my inner circle and everyone else. And I've had the experience that uh, other people feel a lot closer to me than I feel to them Mm. because I always have this guard up. I have this invisible wall of if you're not in my inner circle, I only share so much of myself with you. And Maybe that is me not being my true self. I don't know. But what it means to me is um, until I started doing Enneagram work, and I know you roll your eyes at the Enneagram, and that is completely fair. He thinks it's a cult. I don't roll my eyes at it. I Look, I just did it, and I figured out uh, I'm a a five. Wait, what am I? Five wing four. Five. Yeah, five with a four wing. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. I believe that about you. Um. (laughs) So and an, I don't know why, because I haven't read the whole book. So I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Mm-hmm. And so through the work that I've done, and what that means is of all people who struggle with vulnerability, I am the worst. Okay. I am not vulnerable at all because my core fear is being betrayed. Betrayed? Yes. Okay. And my... Core motivation is to not be controlled. I am a nightmare. So (laughs) what that means for me and vulnerability is I am afraid to be vulnerable with people because I'm afraid you will use that information against me in some way. You will have something on me. Now I no longer have control over what you know about me, how you're going to share it. I'm opening myself up for betrayal, all of these things. So before I started doing this Enneagram work, I saw myself as a very open and vulnerable person. Mm -hmm. I saw myself as an open book because I'm willing to share just about anything with anyone when it comes to factual historical events of my life. Okay. <laughs> and so I'm not shy to talk about sexuality, to talk about my divorce, to mm-hmm. talk about really personal things like religion, politics. It is all on the table. I'm not afraid to talk about any of it. But what I've learned about myself is vulnerability is letting people in while I'm going through something emotional. Because it is very easy for me to open up about my divorce after I've processed everything, after Uh I've experienced all of the emotion, after I shed the tears every day for four months. Mm -hmm. 
if you had asked me during that time that immediately after my husband left me to talk about it, I would have been like, who are you? Like, get out of my face. I would not have been very open to that. And, and so for me, that's the vulnerability of being willing to let people in while you're going through it, while you're in the middle of something. And, and even just thinking about doing that, like my chest tightens a little bit. Well, and so that's, you know, I think that that's a great, uh, I think that that's a great explanation. And I think that vulnerability means different things for different people, because like, I'm usually very hesitant to share something extremely personal about myself, but there is one way that I will always violate my own rule in that regards is if I think that that information could help somebody else. Mm. And I can do that in the moment. I can do it while I am dying inside. Uh, if, if I think that I can, if, if whatever I'm doing is going to help somebody else, then it deserves to be public knowledge. Oh boy, and you're better than me. No, it, it's not about that because to, to me, there is a, that is a, see for you, you, maybe you don't want to share those things because there's a, there's an amount of safety that you need to control. Um, and I think it's a difference in our personalities. When I, if I'm struggling with something and I speak about it and I, this is completely hypothetically, but if I'm scanning the room and I lock eyes with somebody who, because of their reaction, I can immediately tell that they're going through that, there's safety there. Mm. Because now... It's a shared vulnerability. Well, maybe, maybe, now, um, maybe now I've got more of an incentive to process that in a healthy way because of them, maybe they have a reason to do it for me. So there's kind of that, um, uh, that village mentality there. Mm -hmm. If I feel that it can be uh, a helpful thing, but there's so many things in your life that are blockaded by that there, anything that's surrounded by shame, anything that is, uh, surrounded, uh, with, um, kind of just remorse or regret, even if it's not a shameful thing, mm -hmm. even if, uh, 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 you know, you had a relationship end in a way that you didn't want to, and it was outside of your control. You can have regret around that, even though you might not be personally ashamed of it. Or, and maybe you are. And so I totally like see what you're saying and it, it makes perfect sense. And I think that that's what I, I think vulnerability is just different for yeah. different people. Well, and this, even this format of a podcast episode is so outside my realm of comfort because, you know, when I said that people see themselves as closer to me as I do to them, there's a reason for that. I have a method. And now I'm going to, now I'm going to oh, no. let y'all in on an Alyssa secret and oh boy, you can use it against me. So this is true vulnerability. Maybe people have noticed when I am in conversation with them, they're sharing a lot about themselves mm -hmm. and I'm asking a lot of questions, but I don't share anything about myself. Mm -hmm. And it's not even intentional. Mm -hmm. I've learned that it's a default setting of mine mm -hmm. of like the way I feel close to people is interviewing them, asking them questions, getting to know them better. Mm -hmm. But when they ask me a personal question, I kind of wave it off and I'll respond with a question. I do the Socratic method. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh -huh. I'll answer your question with a question. Uh, and so this format of 
episode for me is very different. If y'all go back through previous episodes prior to the month of August, really, they're all interview-based where I have a guest come in and I ask them a ton of questions about something that they are an expert in and I don't share anything about myself. I just help them share their story, which I think there's value in it. I almost became a journalist. uh, So that's, you know, I studied journalism a little bit and then I was like, eh, not for me. But that's kind of the way I connect with people is I dig in, but I don't allow people to get to know me. Yeah. And and I mean... There, I, there, there is a there, there is a certain safety in that, and I think you know. Also, in this setting, we're kind of putting ourselves out there, uh, albeit on a very small scale, as a public figure. So there is uh, a desire to want to guard there. Now, the difference is you kind of do that all the time, and that's there's no that's not right or wrong. I think it, it just, might be a little wrong. Well. So it's really hard. It's something to... I could work on is opening up a little bit more. Is it something that you want to work on? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I want to be a better person. I want to better connect. And I know vulnerability is a good thing in the long run. I don't want to be a person that the older I get, the more my mind closes. I yeah. want to stay open and loving and willing to embrace new experiences Mm -hmm. and I have to take my walls down to do that and I know that in my brain (laughs) right sure but the head and the heart yeah it's so difficult to actually practice vulnerability for me uh yeah I and and for me to get you know given certain types of context so all right vulnerability and the church okay do you think after all of this conversation about what it is to be vulnerable, is the church a safe space to bring your vulnerable self? The church or the church institution? Either. My answer is the same for both. Um, yeah. I, I, right now, I would, I would also agree with you. In my head, I'm kind of dissecting the church institution, the church, this church— we're not, this church is out of the equation. We're talking okay. about Mama Bear Church. Okay. Big, big capital C church. Okay. Uh, no. No. Uh, and uh, I can expand on that, but no, I don't, I don't think that it's a, a vulnerable place, and I'm not really sure why, mm. although I see the effects of it. So, uh, yeah, for me... Uh, I think in a lot of ways, and especially with the way I see society going, um, that the church is not a a necessarily a great place for you to go and be vulnerable. Mm. I think that there's too there's too many repercussions at the very least, and maybe too many consequences on top of that, and that's really. Scary. I don't know. It's so when I think about being vulnerable at the church, my answer is also no. I don't feel like for the vast majority of people, unless you're in like a really special congregation, I would say across the board, the church isn't the place where we can feel the most vulnerable. And I was trying to think back to why do I feel that way? Because I just said at the beginning of this episode, 
for the most part, I've had a really positive experience with Mm -hmm. church. This is a place that I feel loved and cared for my entire life. But I honestly think it goes back to like one starting point is your Sunday best of you. When I was a kid growing up, this was still in the age where like you wear a dress every Sunday. You wear pantyhose. See, they wouldn't let me wear pantyhose. It's miserable. (laughs) Like try being vulnerable in pantyhose. (laughs) It's not, it doesn't work. I I think I would have to already be vulnerable for that to work for me. My hair would have to be brushed. I'd want to look a certain way. And there was this idea of like, it was disrespectful Mm -hmm. not to wear your Sunday best and you want to look your best and you want to bring the best version of yourself because that's what's honoring to God Mm -hmm. is for you to do that. And I feel like that's where it all started to me of like, we're wanting to put our shiniest version of ourselves Mm -hmm. here. And so, and I think about on Sunday mornings when we're passing the peace or greeting each other or whatever it is. And they're like, now take a moment to meet your neighbor. And you turn to your neighbor and say, how are you doing today? And if they say anything other than I'm good, how are you? Yeah. You're like, ah, right. <laughs> like, I don't, want you, don't tell me how you actually are. <laughs> Just like smile at me. Like you're supposed to, like, I feel like we all want the church to be like this happy, hope filled place. And rather than, bringing our true selves and being vulnerable, which would result in that true happiness and hope, we fake it, hoping that it will bring us that happiness and hope. And what it does is bring us fake happiness and hope. Yeah, it, it can, it can also bring, um, it can also, that can also bring, uh, bad things with it. Um, not just fake happiness and hope, it, it can bring real despair. Uh, it can, it can bring, uh, you know, kind of a a dysphoric sensation uh, about what your life is and where your life should be, uh, to where we are we are struggling with the fact that uh, am I not supposed to be blessed? Am I not supposed to be favored? Uh, and if so, why does this hurt? Why is this hard? Um why is this happening to me, this particular thing? Why is this particular thing happening to me? Or uh, why can't I seem to stop, insert whatever it is, and insert thing that maybe you're ashamed about, maybe something that you are uh, afraid of that could just be intrusive thoughts, that could be some sort of sexual addiction, that could be any number of things, not just that. And it could be a small thing, that you are fixated on and it can be a big thing that's overwhelming your life. And so when, when you come here and you are not, uh, it's not beneficial to be vulnerable. And I do, I do want to say like, I think that there are a lot of people who want that true connection Mm -hmm. with other people. And, um, that's that's hard to do in an hour in a public space where you're all faced the same direction. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's like, hey, let's uh let's go see Jungle Cruise at the movie theater and you tell me about your most traumatic childhood experience. So, we're both on the same page that the church is not really a safe space as it currently stands to be vulnerable for a lot of people. Yeah. How how do we change that? What would it look like? 
for the church to be a safe space? Because I feel like that's what we all desperately want to just bring our true selves and come as you are environment. I think for me, like looking at the church and looking at points in my life where um, it's been hard for me to be vulnerable, like those areas of my life, a lot of times they're focused around uh, like like some sort of failure. And that that might be like a uniquely like uh, heteronormative cisgendered man experience. I don't know what other pe- how much uh, like females and 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 other genders have wrapped up in their success being a defining element of who they are. I think guys maybe get that a lot growing up. Like you have to provide and you have to be successful for somebody to want to like tie their life to yours type of a thing. So maybe that's just baggage. Maybe it's just me and may, or maybe it's, it's gender centric or maybe it's not. I don't really know. I'm just speaking out of. I think it's a lot of different things. I feel like first of all, that definition of success, I feel like is part of the masculine narrative of like, being the provider and, yeah. you know, all of these things. I also think it's personality driven. Well, so I, I think, cause I don't mind like trying things at failing at them, but that's, I do that all the time. I'm, I'm the king of, uh, almost starting a new hobby. I'm really great at it. Uh, <laughs> uh, have I been Googling how to make candles? Yes. Yes, I have. Is it going to happen? Maybe for a little while. We'll see. <laughs> we don't know for sure. Uh, but And you can order one of Aaron's candles <laughs> using the link in this episode description. Uh, we're, we're not ready yet. Uh, <laughs> your, your order will be delayed. Um, so, right. But there's a, there's a particular type of failure, I think. And I was using uh, that example not as one where I would necessarily be uh, ashamed in church. Uh, but I think... Uh, failure to uh, do the things that you think make you a good Christian, uh, which you really can't do. It's very clear uh, that uh, part of being a Christian is failure. Uh, And yet that's the part that we don't want to discuss. That's because it just, sometimes it feels overwhelming when I was thinking through, okay, what can the church do mm-hmm. to be a place that is safe for vulnerability? And I don't know if there's anything that the institution of church, the system of church can do except create spaces, but it is up to the church people to change our attitudes collectively. So I feel like when it comes to vulnerability, I'm going to give y'all some permission. Maybe I need the permission to be a little selfish for a moment because what it feels like to me is it's all about self-reflection. You have to start with yourself. Like we cannot become vulnerable as a church and become a safe space for people until we're willing to face ourselves and say, am I willing to be vulnerable? What am I doing to protect myself? What am I doing to put up those guards? Because the only way that other people will open up and share their true selves is if somebody starts it. Somebody's got to start it. 
mm-hmm. and not only open myself up, but leave room for other people to open their lives up, especially if their life doesn't look like mine, doesn't have the same experiences that I've had. They've been treated differently. And for me not to say your experience of life is wrong or to put judgments upon them, but just to notice, hey, your experience of life is different from mine mm-hmm. and that's okay. And there is room for all of that. And I think that vulnerability is a lot about making room. I totally agree with that. Yeah, I, I agree that it's it's with making room. Um, so I, I think we we keep drawing these lines because like I'm here in this place. And 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 uh, if I'm if I'm vulnerable, if I let people see who I really am, maybe they'll realize that I don't deserve to be here. Mm, that's a big one. Yeah. And so I think maybe going and because I think a lot of us just feel like a phony of like maybe everywhere. And I and sometimes I ask myself that, you know, because I am kind of like painfully myself everywhere I go. But, and I say that painful for you or painful for other people, both. I say that because, um, so many times I've been shot down for my vulnerability and, and I, and I think that that's what built this armor around me to begin with as a child, you know, you and I have had conversations about what it's like to be an assertive girl Uh and to speak up and to share my opinions unsolicited. Uh-huh. Um, and especially in the church environment, <laughs> there were times, and even in the Methodist church, which I think is one of the more liberal, open churches, I was called bossy. I was called loud. I was called all of these things. And it kind of chipped away at my willingness to be vulnerable. I feel like that is what you know, maybe an exercise we need to do is like looking at our childhood hurts and what made us the way that we are. Because I really do think I used to be much more vulnerable in the church than I am now, but I've been slapped down so many times for being myself that I'm a more muted version of myself than Mm. I used to be. And a lot of people who work with me would be like, this is the muted version. (laughs) But yeah, it is because sometimes I don't speak my mind about things because I know I'm going to get a bad reaction. Or sometimes when I speak up in a meeting to share my mind, I'll get an eye roll of, oh, of course, Alyssa has an opinion. The point I'm trying to make is that I shut down my vulnerability because Mm -hmm. of those experiences. And I have to learn how to open it back up again to create a safe space for myself and for other people and learn when is it appropriate to open that back up again and when is it inappropriate. Um, But I think that I need to help the church become a safe space Mm -hmm. by being my full self at all times and not being a phony. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I don't even know what that looks like anymore because I've been so chiseled into what society expects me to be. Yeah. Yeah, I can and see that. And that fear of being found out of, I don't deserve to be here. I'm right. not one of you. So let me, uh, uh, just a quick side note. 
um, on deservedness. Mm. And I think maybe this will help with people who don't want to feel vulnerable. I learned something, and I've not really heard this before, so I'm just going to claim it as my own. If you've heard it somewhere else, tell me, because I do forget stuff. But this was literally like an epiphany that I had a long time ago. Um, I mean, it was, yeah, it was before my daughter was born, so it's over a decade ago. Um, deservedness is not a real thing. It's not a construct that has any bearing on reality except when it's filtered through you. And let me explain that. There are, I know you guys have seen the, the, the memes on Facebook and Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, if you can't handle me at my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. That's a Marilyn Monroe quote. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Uh, gross. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> number one, uh, yes, uh, that's true. If you can't handle me at my worst, then just don't be with me because you're, you're not ever guaranteed that people can handle themselves perfectly all the time. Yeah. Uh, you don't deserve me at my best. No, that's not a real thing. That's really not a real thing. Um, and I think that they have that, that specific phrase gives people license to be bad. Yeah, but phrases like that are the armor that people put on so that they don't have to be vulnerable. Okay, but here's the thing. Uh, people who feel like they uh, don't deserve to be loved, when they find a loving relationship in any capacity, friendship, romantic, even like think of like foster kids mm -hmm. getting into a home out of an abusive environment. This is just the concept of, do I deserve a thing? And, and I'm going to talk about it in the concept of love. I am my wife's second husband, by the way. So my wife is, is divorced. We worked a lot on this because there was a point where my wife felt like she didn't deserve to be loved. And yet, I love her. So in that instance, what does your concept of deservedness get you or not? I had to battle through a lot of ghosts of her past mm. just in an attempt for me to love her fully. And I was not withholding that. It was just for her to be able to accept that. On the, on the flip side of that, there are plenty of people who are like, I deserve a queen or a king or they've got this mentality of like, I deserve, I'm not going to take anything less than I deserve. Well, what happens when you don't have that? Your deservedness means nothing. But see, I'm convinced that that is an exercise. When people say things like that, I don't think they mean it. I think that that's an exercise in non-vulnerability, unvulnerability. I don't know what the word is of like, I'm feeling insecure that I can't find someone that I feel comfortable being my full self with. And so instead of saying, I feel lonely, yeah. I feel insecure, I'm afraid that I'm going to die alone, which I've had all of these thoughts before. Sure. I feel like a lot of us have. Rather than saying that and being vulnerable with their true selves of what they're feeling, they say, well, I deserve better. We come up with these weird phrases to 
prevent vulnerability of, I don't want to share my true feelings because it'll make me look weak. There's a lot of pain wrapped up uh, when you feel like maybe you deserve something and you don't get it. And then you start questioning, why don't you have it? And then that leads to, do I not deserve it? And maybe if you look at it as, I have this thing now, I'm, I'm enjoying this thing, it's a good thing. And maybe it's not about uh, whether I deserve it or not. And maybe it's more about me having an honest conversation on, hey, significant other, hey, employer, uh, hey, friend, are, are you also enjoying what, what, what I'm giving here? Is this also a good thing? Uh, and, and, you know, not to get in a, in a manipulative situation, but to just say, like, f- in the reality of the situation, I am, I am able to exist in this thing. And maybe it's not about uh, it getting taken away from me well, or not. Well, it's the fear of rejection again of do you right. accept me? Do you love me? If I come as I am in my full vulnerable nakedness, do you still want me? Mm-hmm. And even when I feel like I don't deserve it, do you still want me? Mm-hmm. And that is like the most vulnerable that we can be. Thank you, everybody, for joining us for this episode of Life Plus God. We focused a lot on the life piece yeah. and the plus God piece. But you know what? Sometimes you just have to talk life. And that's okay. So uh, thank you for tuning in and listening to us talk about vulnerability. Next month, we're going to talk about a totally different topic. Hint, hint, money. So that'll be a fun conversation about how the church uses money, how we view giving money to the church versus giving money to other organizations. So what are like, it's a weird topic. And so we're going to talk about it in a weird way, like you just experienced. Uh, But... This was fun. It was fun. It was fun. Thank you for having me. 